What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artists of Data Science Happy Hour. It is Friday, December 3rd. Friday, December 3rd. That means it is the last month of 2021. Damn, this year went by quick. It's been a, uh, been a crazy year, man. In 04 for a lot of us, uh, you know, good stuff happening for a lot of us and just all around madness for the rest of the world. Uh, hopefully, you guys got a chance to tune into the podcast released today with Christian Espinoza. He wrote the book, The Smartest Person in the Room. It was an epic book. I absolutely love that book and I love chatting with him. I learned a lot through that conversation. Hopefully you guys get a chance to tune in sometime this weekend to listen to that. Uh, earlier this week, like actually earlier this week, yesterday, I was on a podcast called How Did You Learn That? Uh, how Did You Learn That? With um, Andrew Barry was his name, uh, The Curious Lion. That was a dope uh podcast i really really enjoyed being on that podcast shout out to gilbert i kellen boom for uh for setting me up with that interesting enough i thought this was really cool so he had actually interviewed somebody who's had a tremendous impact on my life just a few you know episodes before before interviewing me he interviewed akira the dawn uh i can't believe that i was on I was interviewed by somebody who had interviewed Akira the Don. Akira the Don, if you guys don't know, is probably my absolute favorite uh, artist. He created something called Meaning Wave. And uh, so just to, to just that synchronicity, I thought was insane. Um, hopefully I can get Akira onto, uh, onto my podcast at some point. That would be epic activities. I mean, if it wasn't for Akira the Don, uh, you, I wouldn't have heard of, you know, a lot of things, trust me, with the Artist of Data Science podcast would not be what it would be uh, without his influence. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, coming up next week, man, a lot of good events happening next week. So if you have not already, be sure to register for the Comet Roundtable that we have going on on uh, the 9th, on Thursday, December 9th. There's a link on my LinkedIn profile. If you all you guys watch on LinkedIn, go here, find that event on the calendar and check it out. We're going to be talking uh, pretty much like a, a, a year in review for machine learning in 2021. Uh, we're talking about uh, the challenges and surprising discoveries of deploying machine learning at enterprise scale. We've got some awesome people that are going to be part of that panel. We've got Chris Brossman from The Real Real. He's going to be on. Uh, Art Siom Stroke from uh, WorkFusion. Olche Kirith, who is uh, from Uber, Uber AI. And also the man himself, Mr. Gideon Mendels, CEO of Comet ML, will be there as well. Uh, I'll be uh, emceeing slash hosting slash moderating that session. So that'll be a lot of fun. Be sure to register for that. Check the link right there on my LinkedIn uh, profile. You'll see it. Also next week, I've got, got a bunch of cool interviews that I'll be going live on LinkedIn for. Uh, going live with Nick Singh, who wrote the book, uh, Ace the Data Science Interview. So we'll be talking with him. And then also that same day, just like an hour later, we'll be going live. I'll be going live twice on Wednesday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, going live with uh, the gentleman from One Salting. So Jerry Lee and... Uh, uh, Mr. Javier, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Mr. Javier from uh, from One Salting. Uh, that'll be that'll be a great conversation. I'm excited to uh, to talk to them. Jonathan Javier, God damn it, dude, I'd be slipping sometimes. Uh, Jonathan, uh, sorry about that. If I uh, you know forgot your first name for a second, um, but yeah, that'll be great. That'll be a good good conversation. Hopefully, you guys can can tune in for that live. Uh, feel free to join on the live stream and ask questions and uh, join in on the epic activities. Hopefully you guys had a amazing Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, hope it was hope it was a great, great uh, time for you guys. Hopefully you guys got a chance to capitalize on Black Friday deals. I, for one, had bought my son a brand new car seat. So we are gonna be rolling in style 
in a uh, a brand new Graco. Um, so let's let's get let's you know let's talk about it. It's, it's the first Friday. I mean, first Friday of December of the last month. First Friday of the last month of the year. Um, that's crazy. The year went by very, very quick. You know, I think it's time that we should uh, celebrate our failures, you know, whether they turned out good or bad. So I'm wondering what what was something, if you reflect back on, on January 2021, right? A mere 10, 11 months ago, um, 11 months ago, right? If my math is right. What was something that you had planned or hoped to accomplish by this time of 2021, but did not come to fruition. So what's something that you have planned to accomplish, but just it, it didn't happen, whether you tried or didn't try, you know, it's what's something that that didn't happen for you guys um, that you had hoped would happen. Let's start with the uh, Christian. And then from Christian, we'll go to uh, we'll go to Antonio and then Eric. Uh, and then whoever else wants to jump in, please do let me know. And by the way, everybody tuned in on LinkedIn. If you guys have questions, please do let me know in the comment section right there on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I got eyes on YouTube as well. So feel free to ask your questions on YouTube in the chat. And you are more than welcome to join us live in the room as well. Uh, go for it, Christian. Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, as you're as you're asking that question, and uh, it's it's crazy because this was a for me especially this was a crazy year, and I think for a lot of people, um, maybe 2021 has seemed like multiple years uh, in one because of how fast a lot of things have changed this year. But the one thing that I definitely failed at was my my um, book goal. How many books I was going to read this year, <laughs> mainly because I don't commute anymore. So forget Audible. Uh, I haven't made time for it as much as I should. So I think I wanted to do the whole, like at least a book a month. Right. And I think maybe I hit four all year. So it's like a multi-year low for me. Uh, uh, I'm going to see if I can change that next year. <laughs> uh, of the four that you did read, which ones, which ones, uh, which ones were they? Uh, Continuous Discovery Habits, which I've referenced before by Teresa Torres, which was like, uh, I won't say life-changing, but career-changing. Um, I've got this one here, the product book. And this one, um, I can't really count this. This will be my fifth of the year. I've just started this one that was recommended by John Cutler from um, Amplitude, which is about trustworthy online controlled experiments. So it's all been kind of work-related, uh, but because I'm kind of in a new field and a new area for me, it's been super beneficial and I've grown a lot through them. So I, I love taking other people's great ideas and not having to reinvent the wheel because most of the time they know better than I do anyway. Absolutely. What was that, that, that phrase? A uh, uh, smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Uh, Anytime you can. Yep, exactly. Uh, so yeah. So for those of you guys just joining in question is, uh, you know, we're celebrating failures, man. Why not? I've got a ton of them this year. Uh, so let's just celebrate the failures. Uh, let's talk about what it was that you hoped to accomplish at the beginning of 2021. And now that you look back, it's December of 2021, and you did not accomplish that thing. What is that thing? Eric Sims, please tell us. Two words, side projects. Like any good data science professional, you start out whatever, whatever year, week, month, morning um, with an unrealistic number of projects and ideas. Um, one in particular comes to mind that it's, you know, I mean, it's half done and I learned some good stuff from it, but I just didn't ever, you know, so, okay, I'll give a little bit more context. So I wanted to basically redo a project that I had done all Excel based in a previous job and I wanted to do it in Python and 
and then take it and turn it into just like a little bit of an, an application that could stand alone. And I got through the piece I was really interested in and in converting the, I guess, the nuts and bolts of the optimizer into Python. And then at that point, I was like, I hit, you know, you can like learn stuff that's a little harder than what you know, but this was like way too much harder than what I knew. And I was in school at the time. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep learning all this school stuff. And maybe someday I'll come back to that side project. It's not on my 2022 docket yet, but you never know. Maybe it'll find its way on there. So yeah, side projects. All right. Uh, let's go to Antonio. Antonio, uh, go for it. And then by the way, uh, shout out to Russell. Russell, if you want to go next, please do uh, feel free to go next after Antonio. Uh, everybody else in the room, what's going on? Costa, Gina, uh, Matt Blaza, uh, Monica K. Royal was in the building, but she has left the building. Hopefully she does return. Uh, by the way, uh, you guys listening on LinkedIn, YouTube, if you guys got questions, if you guys got comments, please do feel free to uh, let me know what they are. Uh, but Antonio, go for it. All right. Well, one, I want to say good to be here. I saw you shouting me out. I was on LinkedIn previously with a baby in my hands. I really didn't uh, join too much to the conversation, but I was still listening when I can. So. Um, but this year, I mean, I, the one thing that came to my mind, I had signed up to this uh, no code community, hundred days of no code. And it's a great community, but it was like I was supposed to do this thing for 100 days challenge and it just doesn't, didn't go as planned. I think I made it to like day 17 or 18, but then, you know, life happens. Uh, we ended up buying a house, my wife getting pregnant and uh, like afterwards, you know, one thing after the other and just um, and like Eric is saying, I mean, it's just there's so many interesting things out there that you want to accomplish everything. You know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do data science projects. And then the reason why I wanted to learn no code is so that I can turn it into applications. Um, the, the data science side projects didn't work out, let alone the turning it into an application part. Um, but, but hey, at least, uh, you know, one of those where if you set enough goals and if you shoot for the moon and you land among the stars or something, at least you've done something. So you know, uh, still some things ended up getting a new job and things like that. And it's always tough because you're like, should I work on my site projects or try to learn whatever I need to learn for like this new job or something, you know? But I mean, at the end of the day, all those things are excuses. I guess I, sh I should have done those things, but that's what new year resolution is for. You set things up and you don't do them after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, congratulations again on uh, on the baby, man. Can't wait to see some pictures, man. Feel free to, uh, to send me yeah. baby pictures. And, uh, you know, if you got any questions or anything on fatherhood along the way, do my best answer. Just get a, get a snoo. You need a snoo. Uh, <laughs> <that is laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, I hope they're paying you affiliate marketing because you keep advertising them. Dude, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's actually a good point. I should holler at them. I know. You should, uh, you should, you should look into uh, let's go to uh, Russell and then Gina. I think Gina had the hand up. So if anybody else wants to jump in here on, uh, on, you know, we're talking about we're celebrating failures. What did you fail to accomplish that you hoped you would accomplish at the beginning of the year? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to it's okay to fail. Uh, Russell, go for it. And then after Russell, we'll go to Gina. And then I think Kostab had his hand up. So then after Gina, we'll go to uh, Kostab. Uh, go for it, Russell. Hello, everybody. Um, so first, a quick comment on uh, Antonio's update there. Uh, so whilst there might have been some failures there, you know, you've got a new job and you've got a house and your family's going, well, those, those 
those things kind of uh, blow any other failures out of the water. Those are significant things, my friend. So feel good about it. Thanks, Russell. Thank you. So um, one of my biggest things uh, to to do at the start of the year, uh, a little more obtuse than, than data specific, was maintain my sanity through the through the year of uh, 2021. You know, kind of the second year following the impact from COVID. And whilst I don't think I've failed, uh, it's been more challenging than I expected. I think I was being perhaps a little glib at the outset, thinking, you know, we've had 2020, 2021, you know, give it the, the first quarter and we'll be back on track. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen that way. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm still here. I'm moving on positively, like I'm sure everybody else is. But I feel a little more burdened by the complexities of the last two years than I'd expected to at the start of the year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've been as, should we say, um, resolute throughout the year. Not not terribly so, but, uh, you know, it's affected me. So I'm mindful of the fact that it is affecting me, trying to respond to that positively and, and move forward and take advantage of uh, all of the improvements as they come. Follow the irony of this new valley is a, is is not great time, but still, hopefully, uh, with the way things are going throughout the world um, uh, and uh, safety measures, this is going to be a, a short-lived thing, and we're not going to go through another year of uh, of impacts from this. Uh, so, beside that, uh, data data science-wise, um, I wanted to expand my network which I have done, you know, I have not expanded it, but perhaps haven't expanded it quite as much as I'd like to. Uh, I did want to go to some of the uh, events um, around about. I didn't go to a single physical event at all through the year. Uh, and whilst I did go to some virtual events, there's been virtual events that I failed to go to as well. So haven't been nearly as uh, active as I'd like to have been in the wider community. So that I'd say that's probably been my, my biggest failure of the last year. I think you got the right mindset going into it. Russell, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, shout out to everybody that just joined. Mikiko, what's up? Joe Mama, Joe Reese is in the building. Thank you so much for joining. So uh, we're just kicking off the top of the hour, just talking about, you know, just celebrating failures. What's something that you wanted to accomplish at the beginning of the year, but just failed to accomplish? You know, now that it's December, you just, you're looking back like, fuck, man, I should have got that thing done, but I did not. Uh, let's go to Gina. And then, by the way, anybody that has questions, uh, feel free to let me know. I'm going to add you to the queue. Or if you... Uh, if you got questions on LinkedIn, go ahead, post your question on, on LinkedIn comment section. I'll get to it as well. Uh, Gina, go for it. Uh, hopefully you can hear me. Yeah. Um, let me know. If it's okay, cool. Um, I'm off camera because I'm out and about moving around. But yeah, I wanted to chime in on this. I love this. Let's celebrate our failures. Uh, my failure was not getting a job. And, um, you know, I guess, well, for me, I'm a career changer. and. Although I've done a lot of analytical work, so it's a case that this is so, so much different data science. But of course, the recruiting process and um, the function uh, is different than what I had done before. And um, I'm glad Russell talked about <laughs> just the past year and the mental health aspects. And I think for me, in addition to the shock of, I mean, the pandemic it has been terrible. Um, but the shock of all the political upheaval 
here in the States. It's just, um, he said, you know, the past year has kind of had a bigger impact on him than he expected. And I feel the same way. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, we think we can weather these things. I do think there are some, you know, kind of systemic changes going on in societies. And I think central to it, frankly, are the algorithms and data science. I really do feel like um, this is a challenge, maybe one of the biggest challenges of our time, is how to deal with misinformation, how to uh, help people understand, you know, what they're looking at, how their how they're chains being yanked, frankly, because I think that's a lot of what's going on in the world is people's chains are getting yanked and unless we which is hard unless we engage our cerebral cortex more and say okay hold on wait a minute we need to you know what am i reading is this real it, you know am i just kind of getting amped because it's you know it's uh, triggering the lowest common denominator emotion all these things i mean they they really have weighed on me because prior to the insurrection, frankly, and just everything. I mean, I was worried about it, but now it's like, I mean, honestly, you know, I think democracies, many democracies in the world are in trouble. And it's because bad actors, you know, use these tools in some cases. And there's it's complicated, but manipulating people in ways that I think a lot of us aren't really aware of. Even if people talk about it, they kind of know, but then it's hard because we still react to stuff. So the, the failure of getting a job is complicated, of course, and it's depressing. It's hard to celebrate that. But I'm just trying to look at it as, well, you know, there's been so much change. I've got this new toolkit to add on to my existing experiences. And I really, I, you know, it's just a matter of, well, how do I navigate? How do I use them to best effect? You know, do I go kind of more into the environmental sustainability realm as I thought I might, or do I go and just get a job and really bone up on the, the skills in a, you know, in a real world setting, or do I pursue this other angle, which seems far more nebulous? I welcome any comments that anybody may have on this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing. Um, Appreciate that. And to the point about uh, you talking about, you know, kind of responsible data science there in a couple of weeks on December 15th, I'll be live streaming with uh, Grant Fleming. He wrote the book, Responsible Data Science. We'll be chatting uh, live. So be sure to, to keep it out for that invite and join uh, if possible. And if you guys have any particular questions that you would like to have uh, asked of Grant, please do let me know. I'll try to, you know, incorporate that into the, uh, uh, into our dialogue. Uh, so Shout out to everybody else that just joined in. Uh, well, just one other person that recently joined in. Mark, what's going on? Uh, so question where, uh, where, where, you know, I'm just kicking off the discussion right now, uh, but anybody can take the discussion anywhere they want. I was just asking, what are some things that you wanted to accomplish at the beginning of the year, but you did not yet accomplish? Um, if anybody wants to chime in here uh, that just joined, just raise your hand, let me know, and I'll, 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 I'll uh, call you onto the stage, so to speak. Uh, so does not... Yes, Eric, go for it. Okay, so I just thought of another thing that I wanted to accomplish. I think it was at the beginning of the year, might have been the end of last year, whatever. So 
but I didn't accomplish it and I'm actually like not worried about it. <clears throat> so I had the opportunity during my classes and stuff um, to do some different certifications, right? And like I was super busy with school and I made time to do some of the certifications, but I did not make time to do all of the certifications. And, uh, and like in the moment when you're like, feeling like everybody has all the certifications and you're dumb, then it feels like all the certifications are way important. And like all the certifications are not way important. You know, like I, one certification in particular I did not get was my AWS, whatever the noob level certificate is. Like, I don't have that. I would like to learn some of that stuff eventually, but I'm not kicking myself because I don't at the moment. I spent my time doing other stuff that was valuable. And so I think I would just put that out there to anybody who's feeling like, ah, should I get this other cert? <clears throat> it's like, maybe, maybe not. Like, Don't kill yourself over it. I have precisely zero certifications. Uh, so that makes me want to feel better. <laughs> I don't even have a certificate to podcast. I'm still out here doing it. Uh, Eric, you also wanted to shout out uh, Roy Givler. Man, Roy, I haven't seen Roy in such a long time. Roy Givler. Uh, Ray. 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 Why did I say Roy? Ray. Ray Givler. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a regular fixture at the uh, Office Hours run this time last year, but I think he's uh, since gotten busy uh, during this time. So, Ray, if, if you're listening by any chance, uh, we'd love to have you back. But, yeah, talk to us about, uh, well, first of all, he does drop awesome Tableau knowledge, like amazing, amazing Tableau knowledge. Um Talk to us about the yeah. tip that he gave you that helped. And then uh, after that, we'll go to Co-Step and then Mark. Yeah. So like the cool thing. So I know Ray does like Tableau stuff all day, every day. And he has a ton of Tableau like tips and stuff that he's written down for himself. And so he shares them, you know, and <clears throat> a few days ago, he shared a tip about using captions on your worksheets to leave like instructions or notes and things like that because and i had just been thinking like last week how can i do this better so that the next person who comes along can read it without cluttering up the whole dashboard with instructions and so he said hey do this thing with captions and i got stuck i had to leave what i was doing in the middle of creating like a few different fields that were all reliant on each other and there's no way i would have remembered even like the next day what i was working on and so i just took the time, wrote it all out. It was right there. I didn't have to dig through my notebook or anything to find it. And then today I sat back down, <clears throat> worked on it, got it finished. And it actually, fortunately, was part of something that will make a big difference for one of the products that I support. And so, you know, extra good vibes from that. So if you don't follow Ray Gibbler, follow Ray Gibbler for cool Tableau tips. Plus, he's just a nice guy. He got some good knowledge. Like, I'm, like I haven't seen his stuff show up on my feed for, like, Ever so I'm like going through his thing right now, just smashing like on everything. I feel like my feed has been nothing but sponsored ads lately. I don't understand why that is. Um, he was off so, for a while, but he's yeah. back. He's been back for a few weeks. Ray, uh, man, we miss you. It's been a while since you've uh, been here. So I miss having you around. So if you're listening, uh, come back and hang out with us sometime. Uh, let's go to Costa. And then after Costa, Mark. Uh, so I guess what, a couple of things came to mind and stuff that I haven't, um, haven't succeeded in. Uh, first thing is my personal fitness goals, right? I feel like we talk so much about the technical growth and the other sides of life that often what gets hit is like, and, and I felt that it's gone through kind of waves, right? It was going great at the start of the year. Then uh, in Sydney, we got hit by the Delta variant, got chucked into another lockdown for three, three months or so, and that dropped down further. And it's just been up and down. 
And the same thing kind of, I noticed a similar pattern with my learning, with my technical learning, right? I do it in these bursts and waves and it's like, you know, I, Earlier, just what eight months ago, nine months ago, I was at the the GTC summit at the start of the year, uh, doing courses on you know Nvidia stuff, and then now it's like uh, now I'm learning all about GCP on Coursera, and I've got like a stack of textbooks here that I just haven't got around to because I've been working in like this burst mode, right? Where I come out of the woodwork saying, okay, cool, I need to get get on it, right? And then I spend two weeks just smashing stuff out, and then maybe a month where it goes great, and then another month which just kind of you know, it all dips down. And what I'm kind of realizing based off what Russell said, what Gina said, and what a few others have said is a lot of it comes down to um, resilience and change, right? And focus is, is can I, so it's almost my goal for 2022 is to start looking at, can I retain my focus irrespective of what changes? Like we haven't seen more dramatic changes in the last 30 years than we have in the last two years, at least widespread across the world right there's definitely been major pockets of it but widespread across the world we haven't seen this kind of dramatic lifestyle changes that affects literally everybody um so it's a bit of a learning curve on how to do that and it's only kind of in this conversation that i'm like you know what this all of these other things I'm, i haven't hit my goals on on, st on studying certain textbooks worth of work or i haven't hit my goals in certain fitness aspects and it's predominantly because i've lost that focus being distracted by change right um now i've got no clue how to solve that because it's a focus thing it's a mentality thing it's uh but yeah it, i think the first step in solving that is identifying that hang on that's that's the main problem right thanks so much for for sharing co-step uh if anybody wants to to respond to that uh please feel free to do so after we get to uh to mark uh, mark go for it yeah, I think I think the one thing, the goal that I'm truly trying to get down is uh, my prioritization skills and being able to stick to those prior, uh, the discipline to those prioritizations. So I feel like I got really down in my in my day job, uh, but like outside of my day job, I'm like all over the place. Um, definitely falling for that shiny shiny thing syndrome. Yep, Web three is my my latest distraction. And I'm actually kind of happy. I'm, I'm actually probably gonna prioritize it more actually <laughs> because I've just been falling in love with it. Um, but like with me starting kind of like my side hustle and it being like a full business and everything, it really clicked in my head, like how much my lack of prioritization is really impacting me. And so I've been slowly changing my behaviors um, to, to, to make it right. So, you know, going to bed at the right time, eating right, all those different small things allow me to do more. Um, and prioritize accordingly and being able to say no to a lot of things um, super important that I, I struggle with in my personal life, but I'm slowly getting better and being forced to get better because uh, there's a lot, a lot of cool opportunities coming my way through, through my side hustle that requires me to be way more focused and disciplined. And so uh, I'm looking forward to, to next year building on successes I've had with that in my, in my job to bring that to other aspects of my life. So I'm pretty, Pretty excited about that. I have a good direction. It's just you just gotta execute. I can I can relate to that thing about just I don't know. It's just I I'm somebody who just has I'm just naturally curious. I have a ton of interest, and they meander. Like I I study everything from physics to philosophy to Web three to various different programming languages and just all this stuff is just super interesting to me. Uh, and it does kind of you know I, I, 
I guess you're saying shiny object kind of syndrome uh, a little bit, but, but I, I follow that thing until my curiosity is exhausted, then move on to the next thing, but then try to find links between what I was just studying or what I was just reading about and whatever to, to what I'm currently doing. Uh, but yeah, Web3 is definitely the, the newest fascination for me as well. It just, uh, there's rare opportunities in life where somebody can be on the frontier of something and be part of a movement in its infancy, right? Like I fucked up when I was younger and I couldn't be on that wave when, when you know, the Web 2.0 was happening, even though it, I could have, right? I just, life choices. Uh, and now I feel like this is a chance to like kind of redeem myself with that. And so I'm, I'm using that as an opportunity for me just to, to get on the ground floor of something that's interesting and, and capitalize on that. But uh, Charlie Dow is where it's at. If you guys do not know what Charlie Dow is all about, uh, we're looking at uh, three members of the Dow right here. We got Mark, Mikiko, and, uh, and myself. I'm looking forward to chatting with, um, with uh, Carlos next week. Hey, I'm part of it too. You're on the Dow too? Damn, all right. Well, of course. I don't too, want right? to miss out on the shiny object. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you guys yeah. become billionaires. I don't want to be the only poor one. <laughs> what are you saying, Joe? Oh, I said he bought himself a new gaming PC, though, so he might be out of commission for a bit. So. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be staking those altcoins, you know. I'll That's why you, I I'll get the graphics. On this, though, right? <laughs> I'll give you some perspective on this. I'm... I'm I'm a lot older than I look. Um, I, I got on the internet back in 92, um, before there was even a web browser. And so I, I think to, to your point, right, you feel like you're on the, uh, the, the cusp of whatever new frontier is. I've been through a few of these now, and it's interesting. Like the, the trends that I've seen over the years, it's, it's like there's the uh, there's the stuff that seems obvious, right? And, there's the, and what I found is it's the inobvious stuff that usually is what takes hold. Um, so I'd always, I would always keep a lookout for those things too. The obvious stuff is what everyone's trying to do right now. And I think that's great to get into, but keep an eye out for the applications where it's not intuitively obvious. Cause that's where the, I think the real opportunities are made is, um, uh, sort of the stuff from left field, right? Even Facebook, that was like a left field thing. It seems the most obvious thing in the world now, but trust me, when that came out, it's like, this is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why would you ever do this? Twitter was the same way. So you're talking about Web 2.0, social that Web 2.0 seemed like a terrible idea, actually, at the time. So I remember when that came out and I was like, well, user generated content, because obviously that's a great idea. Well, look at it now, you know, and so decentralizing everything, I think, is the um, is the way forward. But the thing I would I would caveat that with, and as you guys get into, um, you know, Web 3, which I think is amazing, like just keep in mind all the left field applications that nobody's really paying attention to, because the crazier something sounds, it actually that's the stuff that makes the most sense. Yeah. So that's the thing about the, the stuff like coming out of left field is it's and and just remixing that idea with the the curiosity, right? Like just being curious about a number of different things is you can find those intersections between between things, right? And 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 find something interesting in that little niche. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where you find those left field type of uh opportunities. I mean, I was on I was on Friendster, man. Like I, I Really date myself. Yeah, <laughs> I really date myself, man. Yeah, now I feel really old. Mikiko said she was two at the when I was on the internet. That's else all just shut up now. All right, fun. Mikiko, you were two in 1992. Damn, now I feel old, man. Shit, I didn't. Well, that's the that's the beautiful part, right? It's like I I look left and right, and it's like you can't tell. Like some like in the data science machine learning space, I'm like I don't think you can kind of tell someone's age 
necessarily, you can kind of look at like maturity and experience, but even that's not, it's not like a super good indicator, you know? So I I don't know. I think it's funny just because like, I'm on a team of like all women, you know, ML ops, like engineers, which already is a little bit just unique. Um, But also we all happen to be within like one or two years, like years of age, but like the other, you know, the other two, you know, ladies are just way more experienced um, in like engineering. And then I have just a lot more experience in like the startup world. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird, right? But you get a, you get a nice team together with different skills and experiences. It eventually blends, but yeah, it's just, it's so hard to tell because. Well, the, thing yeah. cool, the thing that's really cool about te- the tech space and the tech, I think technology in general is, you know, I, I think for as much of a lack of diversity there is in this field, it's a meritocracy on like a lot of other fields where there's gatekeeping. Like you try and be a doctor, with the same premise as being a software engineer, right? No, it's impossible. You go, you'll be in law. And I think rightfully so actually in that case, cause I don't want anybody just being a doctor. That'd be horrible. Um, but like a lawyer or that kind of thing. Right. I mean, or, you know, getting into an exclusive uh, company, you know, um, and being a business person, it's like tech is one of those things where I think it's really rare in the sense where you, you, it really depends on your skills. And if you're keeping that current, if you aren't like, you know, you're, you're a dinosaur. And there's a two year expiration date. I noticed in almost everything. So two years is kind of where you got to start recycling. So it's cool. I think it's also good when you get people from, I mean, totally biased on this one. I think it's good when you get people from other fields too. Cause I feel like if you're, if you've been in like engineering too long, like people adopt a lot of like weird mindsets. Like I had a person who they were interested in applying to my team and they're like, well, I'm a, a test engineer. Um, I don't know if I would fit in with like the ML ops team you know, what skills and things do I need? It's like, well, uh, you've got Python and Docker and Kubernetes on your resume. So I feel like already that's, if you're just focusing on infra and platform already, that's like a really good spot to be. And everything else is just like, you know, can you deal with like JSON, XML, whatever files? Can you learn quickly? Do you know what cloud is? Like, it's, it's just more generic stuff. And then it's kind of like, we sort of figure out the tooling the problem but it, it, it's I don't know it's it's kind of interesting but like I, I've seen other like gatekeeping sort of attitudes and I just feel like that's when people have you know they've had the Kool-Aid a little bit too long yeah. and they're just now like well if you're like a QA test engineer or if you're a product engineer or if you're a data engineer then you can't do XYZ it's like uh, no <laughs> no they just you know they just figure out what they need to know and then that's it right like shouldn't be a huge issue. Some, some of that stuff I don't get. And I feel like in a, in a way, because I come from outside engineering, I'm like, well, all of you think I'm stupid anyway, and like not accomplished. So I can just kind of go in and learn and mess stuff up. And you're going to like, think it's because I, I didn't study engineering anyway in college. So in a way it doesn't matter because I'm no matter what, you're going to think of me less than I think of me. So I can just, you know, but but still, I thought it, it was really funny because it, it was just like, I don't know if I could transfer in. I'm a test engineer. I'm like, no, you can totally transfer in. Why not? Like, it's all good, you know? You know, people like I that. Think Go for I think there's something to be said about software specifically, right? So um, the, the kind of spaces that I've seen, I have seen more of that gatekeeper mentality even in the other engineering fields, right? So if you go to mechanical, mechanical engineering, mechanical design, you go to electronics, um, a lot of it gets a little bit more gatekeepery. And I think one of the big reasons for that is that 
I mean, personal computers, right? It makes software accessible. You're able to go and learn and develop your skills privately, cheaply, and reversibly. If you screw something up in software, you know, get check out a previous commit or a previous tag and you're kind of all right, right? It's an, it's an easy fix. You screw up a mechanical design or a product that goes out, say it's a healthcare product, say it's something else like that, it starts to hurt people, right? So I, I think software inherently has had this reversibility, this uh, distributed kind of knowledge sharing kind of style, right? Purely because it's so accessible. You need a keyboard and a screen, really. Uh, these days you need the internet and maybe cloud connection, but most of the time you can do it just off a regular ass computer. Um, so I think part of that really plays into this ability to, to be a meritocracy. Uh, whereas in the mechanical engineering field, if you need to, if you need to become an expert in aluminum honeycomb welding, you need to be able to afford enough aluminum honeycomb to practice on. And that stuff ain't cheap, right? It feels Get like it's like what layer of the OSI layer you're operating at. I feel like if you're like at the top layers, right? Like, or not sorry, the top bottoms. If you're at the layers that are closest to like the physical hardware space, yeah, it's going to be a little bit trickier. Um, but once you get past like to more like the application or, you know, like the API or whatever level. Yeah, I feel like that kind of gatekeeping is just totally unnecessary. It's like all the arguments between programming languages, um, right? Like it's, although I, after doing a little bit of solidity, I can say that I don't like it. So, you know, but that's, that's a preference. I'm not, I'm not saying anything else about it, but like, you know, but I feel like still, if you learn like one language or you learn one framework, you do have to do a little bit of translation, like JavaScript still screws me up. I just look at it, I'm like, mm, okay, I need to take a little bit on this. Um, but once you, on the more abstract layers, once you've learned the principles or you have like one thing, I, I, the gatekeeping to other areas to me just does not make sense. When you get to hardware, I think that totally makes sense, right? Because that is like partially the difference between um, like the architecture used for self-driving cars versus like medical devices, um, FDA regulations, yada, yada. But outside of that, it's like, you know, we don't need to make ourselves feel self-important. You know, we, we're all special. We're all special in our own way. I think I think part of it it comes down to that risk and risk and liability thing, right? Is how much is it, is a screw up going to hurt someone, and how much is someone going to have to pay to fix the screw up, right? Uh, software it's it's easily forgiven, right? If I mess up a piece of software, they're like, oh, roll their eyes. Come on, guys, get it together. Uh, hardware, any kind of hardware. If your if your phone fails you're more mad than if there's a software glitch that they just fix on a patch because it's easily fixed, right? Um, so I think it's kind of the nature of that. For the record, I didn't say Solidity is the worst language ever. But really I didn't say cool, it's the best yeah. language either. I'm, ho I'm, holding, I'm holding my opinion on it. I'm going to learn some more. Also, if anyone's interested in like programming languages, there's this book I've been raving about to, to everyone. It's called um, Crafting Interpreters by Robert Nystrom. And if anyone knows like the wizard and the dragon book, dragon books about compilers and interpreters and all that, I wouldn't know it because I didn't actually study engineering in college, but apparently that's where most people hit those up. Um, but it's a book like Crafting Interpreters by Robert Nystrom. It actually walks through like how would one um, design a language and how would one craft the, uh, create the compilers and interpreters that would then, you know, like execute and like, you know, turn it over to like bytecode and all that. And also I think it does a really good job of explaining it. It's just such a good book. I have to rave about it. 
it's yeah it's giving me a greater appreciation for some languages which you know um you can, uh, learn you can drop a link to that in the chat that'll be helpful uh be sure to uh, include that into the show notes um yeah, dude, solidity is uh, solidity is cool. It's interesting. Just the idea of smart contracts. I guess that's that's what I absolutely love. Uh, and we got we got a lot of Charlie Dow up in the building. Where's Carlos at? Uh, Charlie Dow, what up? Uh, toast a uh, question or comments. Anybody got questions or comments or anything? Please do let me know. Let's uh, let's continue this conversation. Man, it's been going good. Uh, Monica Royal is in the building. Am I tripping? Is your hair is your hair purple? It is purple, yes. Nice, very nice. <laughs> I uh, I go from every color of the rainbow. It was previously red, so and then nice. it turned pink, and now it's purple. And so, who knows what's next? <laughs> um, I had a comment to what I think Makiko referenced to earlier. I've been in and out; my computer's acting crazy. But um, as far as the gatekeeping, so you guys know, like, remember the unicorns, the data science unicorns back in the day, right? Where you're a programmer, you're an analyst, you're a BI person, you can do all of it, and that's what you want. What I've been seeing lately is that they don't want that anymore. They're like, no, you have to just be BI, or you have to sit down and create your models and algorithms. Are you guys seeing the same thing? I'm, I'm seeing if i can respond to that i'm seeing some of that uh, particularly as businesses are trying to figure out how to optimally structure larger teams right a lot of this comes down to how do you structure a big team as opposed to how do you structure an individual career uh and yeah it, it's a, it's a challenge and i think it's still quite an open challenge the the downside is yes i'm seeing like a shift to more rigidly marked lines in some cases, but I'm also seeing in, in some companies, there's an understanding that the or, the organization of the team is not a uh, is not a fence that people can't cross over, right? I've seen a couple of examples of companies where, yes, they're defining the roles better, but they're encouraging that cross-pollination a little bit better as well. So I think we're starting to see this burn into an evolution in, in team management and team structure, right? Where yeah, I, I think that the thinking is evolving in some places, but obviously it's not going to evolve everywhere overnight. So, um, but I get what you mean. Yes, it can be scary where you're like, oh, are they drawing the lines now? And are we going to be stuck with the same problem we had like 20 years ago? Right? I know the so unicorn is going away. That's sad. <laughs> I think it's just getting harder and harder to do, to do everything. I think this unicorn, it's not just a it's just a yeah, like it's a myth, mythical idea. Like it's it's hard to do everything. Um, it really is. Uh, so actually, I forgot about Mark's question. Mark had a Kubernetes question. We'll go to Mark's question, then Costa will go to you because uh, Mark asked was asking about this for for a while. Is that is that all right, Costa? Or were you speaking on something that was that? Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, all right, cool. Mark, go for it. Yeah. Or, or, so, McKee. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was gonna say if anybody wanted to respond to Monica's question, do let me know. I just glossed over the. Uh, you know, the, the responses for that. So if anybody wants to, please do uh, respond. Mark, if you want to respond to Monica's question. Yeah, so Makiko put out this great article um, on Kubernetes, uh, basically uh, uh, stopping support for for Docker. And where this came up for me, I'm, I'm writing a, uh, a piece for a, a client um, and kind of doing market research. And the vendor I was looking at was heavily in, in Kubernetes and, and using Docker. And it, it posed this question of, well, 
this client, this vendor is heavily like the infrastructure is built heavily on Kubernetes and Docker. Um, but if Docker is no longer being supported uh, for other kind of interfaces um, for those for those images, um, you know what what happens to a lot of the companies who are really dependent on that 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 combination of uh, of services? You know, um, you know how how would how would leadership kind of view that? Like, would they start going through a scoping process of like, all right, well, what we replace this with? Um, you know, would they? Um, but they stopped using Docker. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so it kind of goes beyond the articles. Like, say, for instance, you read that article of like, hey, Kubernetes is no longer supporting Docker. You know, what would be your next step if you're one of those organizations who are in that in that spot where like, oh wow, we have to rethink how we structure things. Go to uh, go to Joe for this one. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, it's been a bit since I've been at Kubernetes. Uh, I think I, I actually stopped using it around the time they announced. I think it was like what last year around this time, or maybe before they um, so they're kind of not deprecating support, but they're they're definitely moving away from like long term support of Docker, and I think moving towards like a containerized runtime interface or something like that, so their own sort of thing. But um, so I just see whatever it is that Kubernetes wants you to use. I mean, it's kind of a dumb answer, but it's, like, it's the answer I got. So um, from what I recall, like Docker is not really, uh, it's not really a runtime interface anyway. So you should be able to just repackage your stuff quite easily. Um, so yeah, I'd say good luck on that. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but Kubernetes, um, you know, I guess if you're if you got enough uh, horsepower to use that um, in production, then you got enough horsepower to figure it out, um, you know, container and package uh, dependency management. So, because that is a beast to work with, which is why I haven't been using it lately. So, for sure, for sure, it just it just seemed like a a, a huge wrench to to a lot of things as as people are like really trying to figure out this ML ops piece for all of a sudden this like kind of this duo that's typically kind of quote unquote best practice kind of going away. Yeah, because Docker for a long time, it, it was almost synonymous with containers and Kubernetes, right? And now it's, um, now it ain't. But I, I, from what I recall though, Docker also made some interesting decisions with their business model that I think, I don't know if it impacted this or not. I could be talking out my uh, rear, but I think that, uh, you know, Docker did some interesting stuff as well that may have influenced this choice. So we'll see. The only constant in this business is things change. So, for sure, have fun. <laughs> uh, Greg, uh, actually, Greg, if if you don't mind, let me. Uh, we'll go to unless you're talking about Docker's Kubernetes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, I was gonna say I was reading something from uh, a friend this morning who was talking about Kubernetes. He was saying something like um, Kubernetes is becoming more of a uh, we talk a lot about on-premise as being the legacy system. And uh, because Kubernetes requires so much um, intervention by, you know, experts and things like that, that Kubernetes may, in fact, at some point become, um, you know, legacy systems. And especially with how much it takes to, to manage, you need professionals and things like that. And, you know, you're going to be pushed to leverage um, serverless infrastructures uh, to to perform those things where you don't have to worry about managing that that heavy workload or um, so you know maybe 
you know, you should look into that a little bit. Joe. I do have something to say on this um, insider baseball. Don't quote me on this. Um, but uh, I had heard that Kelsey Hightower, you know, he is Mr. Kubernetes. I, yeah. Anyway, he was the one who was like Mr. Kubernetes over at Google. I hear he's working on cloud run now, which is the, uh, not, not the guy from police Academy, Eric. That was, that was, <laughs> it's funny. Um, so no, but he's working on a cloud run from what I heard. So that's a serverless. Um, yeah. Container things that should tell you a lot if that's true, right? Um, yeah, because he, you know, he was a spokesperson for this and put his entire career on, you know, Kubernetes, and now, you know, but I, I agree with that assessment. I think that I, I think that it's just if you've used it in production, it's fine, but it's also just super unwieldy. Like it's a beast to work with. So yeah, know. the the the, um, the surprise of serverless from what I mean people I've talked to across companies is that it could it could could come at you with that bill, that cost, right? So it needs it needs to be more work to be done to make it more affordable. But it will get more affordable with economies of scale. But to to answer your question, Mark, I think the next step for things like Kubernetes is probably serverless infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, to uh, to see where it goes. But I think what your question though, Mark, has to do with all the MLOps frameworks, though, right? And how they have to work with Kubernetes too, like Kubeflow by definition by its own name has to work in kubernetes so it's like i don't know i, I kind of go back and forth in these kind of attaching your your framework too closely to uh the underlying infrastructure because you saw this you see the same thing with ml flow too um and spark and, and stuff so yeah, i don't know it's interesting uh mikigo yeah so i guess um the way i had interpreted the change was that um, so Kubernetes is like container orchest orchestration, but Docker is not the only container containerization technology out there. And, and frankly, it wasn't even anywhere the first, right? Like there's been variations of it. It just became synonymous. And I think what I read from just from the updates was that essentially like Docker and Kubernetes, even though people had presumed that they were really tightly coupled, they were still making their own developments in different directions. But whenever Docker has to make changes, Kubernetes would have to kind of respond to it. And so there's like OCI, which is trying to do some kind of standardization protocol or, or um, standards for containers. Um, and so Kubernetes was like, instead of kind of continuing to support the Docker shim, and in general, you hate shims. Shims are always like temporary. You just kind of use, you use a shim to kind of just make things plug in for temporary time. They were like, yeah, we're not going to keep doing this because Docker as a container should follow like OCI, right? Like they should, they should try to like play nice. And so it's interesting because we, at the data media, like we have a monthly book club slash podcast club, like at MailChimp, we were last month was talking about data meshes. Um, and a few of the, like a few of the like staff and senior engineers had, they were reading it and they're like, okay, so basically the premises push the problems to the left. Like just push the problems on someone else uh, for data mesh. And it kind of just seems like that's like what, what Kubernetes decided to do. Um, but with that being said, like cloud run is kind of interesting because um, there's like a couple things, right? Like for example, if you're looking at the ability to do like async processing, like that would put cloud run as a potential competitor to like Kafka and PubSub. 
But on the other hand, it also has some other additional stuff where it can handle heavier workloads than cloud function. So it's like in this kind of like interesting area and it's, it's kind of, it's going to be interesting to see sort of like where they sort of run with it, especially when you like, when you think of it as like kind of replacing jobs, because that's the other part that's like really painful, right? It's like, how do you coordinate your like Kubernetes and your and your airflow, right? Like that's just, it's such a pain. And I think most people, they're like, well, if you had something that was both scheduling and orchestration, that was also kind of serverless, that would sort of like kill um, three birds with one stone. You would, you would get rid of like, basically like things like PubSub and Kafka, you get rid of like Airflow and you'd get rid of Kubernetes. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge. We'll see how that actually kind of, how that runs. Um, Cause no one likes to kind of let go of their infrastructure that they've committed a lot of like sunk cost into, but it'd be interesting. Don't worry that a lot of that went over my head as well. Listeners, uh, engineering talk is uh, in depth. Uh, well, actually, Joe, like, uh, well, well, Joe, did any of that sound like totally off? Oh, it sounds on. So. Just the, the entire segment of uh, this engineering talk that I've learned a lot is going over my head. I'll be listening to that over don't, and over again. Uh, Aubrey, yeah. don't feel bad because it's over my head too. <laughs> I just try to learn the high level. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. the, the, the trend though what we're seeing and, and writing about this a lot is just the increasing level of abstraction in the stack and the data stack. It's just it's happening across the board. I think that the big challenge is going to be interoperability between all these various um, systems, whether it's open source or a third party that's abstracting all this. Like that's a really big um, issue right now. I think you're going to see a big trend towards um, metadata as sort of being the glue that holds everything together. I expect to see a lot more of that in the space in the next year. But um, yeah, because it, it's become obvious that the way people are doing it now is just sort of a, a bridge to somewhere else. But nobody, I don't think anyone's going to say, like, oh, this is exactly what we should be doing the way we're doing it now. But, you know, it's cool. So I guess my, my question, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, he said a bridge to somewhere else. I was like, bridge to somewhere else is the metaverse. Uh, go for it. Yes, right. Mark. I was going to say, my, my next question is, like, just trying to think, like, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about, like, how do I build infrastructure for, for data products? And so it, I originally thought it was going to be Docker and Kubernetes to, to learn about. Um, one, because I find it interesting. But after seeing this, I'm like, oh, you know, this, this may not be the... Uh, the best thing to focus on my time um and so like thinking wise like you know if if you're if you were to learn this kind of ml ops kind of thing stuff again you know and you have limited time what would you double down on managed services 100 percent where are managed I, services what do you mean by that yeah uh so so google has um Okay, so so this is how I would do it for for any cloud vendor. I, I would definitely choose one. Um, it, it really doesn't matter AWS or GCP. I, I go with GCP just because that's what's at work. But AWS also is you can go with that as well. Um, what's nice about and I'll re refer to GCP in this, assuming that AW, uh, AWS also has kind of like mirror resources. So if you go into the docs, like they'll have a lot of use cases. Like if you want to have this kind of architecture or whatever, this is how you can use the different services together. Um, 
that to me typically is very useful um, because it allows me to understand how the pieces kind of work. In terms of what I mean by managed services, so for example, Google has like GKE, Amazon has a managed version of Kubernetes. Um, if you really want to go with it, but I would almost go like start really simple to then going really complex. So the simplest would be serverless, 100%. Um, it tends to be a little bit more costly. And also like they will have limitations on the amount of data you can pass, I think. When serverless functions first came out, that was like the really big thing um, that I noticed was that it was just really expensive to pass more than however many megabytes of, or not even megabytes, sorry, um, uh, bytes or bits uh, of data, right? Bytes or, or whatever. Um, but I would go serverless. Uh, if that is just like cost-wise, just doesn't work out, then I would go towards more like seeing if you can kind of like ship containers um, or something like that, or you, yeah. Um, and you can use like GKE, but also sometimes too, you can just directly, you can build containers and then you can just kind of directly deploy it so that it gets hosted on something like Heroku or um, like a cloud version of it. Um, and then I would sort of keep going down like, or up the complexity stack till you get to like the right spot. I wouldn't sort of go out and learn Docker and Kubernetes and like Jenkins from like the immediate get go. Cause you, you can just, it, it can cause so much grief, but at the same time, if cost isn't like a huge barrier, I would just go very, very simple, go with manage, go with things that you can just do like wrapper scripts around and then start kind of going up the complexity stack. Mark, I think I, between what you were saying, I, I think I also heard you say like you were looking for things to help you decide how to design uh, systems, right? And infrastructure, if I'm not mistaken, or you want to develop Definitely. Think, think about that because one, that's my interest of mine, uh, especially being in a startup, uh, that's very top of mind. And then also like a lot of my writing I do for my clients is, is thinking about where do these vendors fit within the market and the ML workflow. So it's having a broader understanding, this really helps. I think you need to study architecture. Yeah. Uh, so actually, I just got this book uh, from O'Reilly. Um, Software architecture, the hard parts, uh, just came out, I think, a few weeks ago. So this is good. I've been reading this. Um, probably because I like Neil Ford, the, the ThoughtWorks people. They do a really good job at writing about architecture. But I'd say you should study architecture patterns. That, that might be where you need to go. Um, yeah, software. Yeah, I like that book, too. There's, but it seems like that's... If you, if you have a good solid understanding of architecture, of, of which I will caveat that I don't think any architect has a good solid understanding of architecture, you ask an architect what, what architecture is and you're like, oh, that's a good question. I have no idea, actually. Um, but uh, I would say study this stuff, too. It's sort of, it'll sort of bridge the gap between, I would say, like the, the um, kind of the uh, implementation and um, the engineering pieces and the broader picture of what you're trying to design and like kind of where all the pieces fit, right? Architecture is about figuring out the trade-offs and figuring out what pieces you're going to um, fit where based against constraints. So, so yeah, and that's, that's the main thing in, my, in my, a lot of my writing is this build versus buy argument, like balancing between that. So that, that's really helpful. Mark, if, you are, if you're a visual learner like me, um, I can point you to something that I do too. If you go to YouTube, get on the channel called This Is My Architecture, it's based on AWS, they invite like a company that bring a use case, they have a board, they build the architecture. Some of them are ML based, some of them are not. But regardless, I try to watch one episode per day to kind of understand how to build architectures 
uh, that are actually in production. So it really lights up my mind in terms of the common uh, systems that keep getting called based on the use cases, um, ML-based or not, to see how the whole thing works. And they're like five to seven minute videos. I think this is one of the best like channels that I can work with because I don't have patience to read a book. And over time, when I read about company use cases, you know, I typically get a good understanding of how things are pulled because I try to see, I tend to see trends in terms of how people build their architecture. So check this channel out and uh, hopefully it will help. Thank you all so much. This has been extremely helpful. I have some good, good stuff to go through now. It's got a lot of good videos on there. I'll definitely be checking that uh, that out as well. Uh, great discussion, guys. Thank you. That's I got so much to learn about engineering. You guys are, you guys are amazing. Uh, and actually, um, I'll go ahead and drop a few more links in the chat for mm -hmm. things that I think are really good. Because honestly, like the systems design portion of like when I was doing like the ML, ML Eng, ML Ops interviews was like almost the hardest. It was the most interesting, but it was also like the hardest part to prepare for because it's like, you need to have a couple layers of understanding. Um, like there's tooling and sort of what tooling provides, right? So, but just, if you separate that layer off, you have to have an understanding of like, irrespective of, of whether you use a cloud vendor, like what are the main components of what you need? Like what's the minimum viable components of what you need? And then you still have to factor in like, what are your, what are your, you know, God taunt like resources and ability to like implement, which I think is like, like, so there's understanding like what the cloud providers provide. And usually they kind of make it a bit clear on their website. So you can look at the documentation, but it's the whole like cloud vendor independent knowledge. I thought that was really the hardest part in a way to prepare for because a company that has like a very mature engineering culture and has like a bunch of like staff and up in principle staff principles and whatever who have built the architecture from scratch and they're processing for millions of customers has just a way different need than like a small like startup where it's only like 10 to 15 engineers half of whom are very junior um right and then it's like you still have to it, it, oh, and even when you build it, you still have to think about maintenance. That's like a huge part of the conversations we have at work. It's like you can, it's always easy to find someone to build the project because that just looks good on your resume, straight up. Like career-wise, building always looks good. You will always find someone who will build it if you can say this is going to be like hot stuff. But the maintenance costs, that is like the hard part to get teams to eat. Like, so it's, I, I thought it was always really, really complicated. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I'll, I'll also post some links too, to stuff that helped me, um, at least like on the ML systems part. I, I, I gotta say at some level, I, I totally agree with Kiko. There's this, um, there are these fundamental engineering systems design principles that, that, that it spreads, that the thinking in that principles, it spreads beyond the specific tools that you're using. Right. And if you follow those principles, there's like it's much stronger knowing those principles and really understanding that. And you can learn that with any system. Right. Um, like for me, I think I went through this weird journey in the last 12 months where uh, and probably stretching out into the late last year as well, where I started off down this ML ops and engineering 
side of things and trying to design at my previous company, I was designing this data flow through the testing or like the tra model training optimize, uh, uh, model training automatically kind of thing. I've lost my words today. Um, you know, just this whole, this whole pipeline of collecting the data, cleaning it, uh, you know, training the model, testing the model, and then putting it somewhere where the company can use it. Right. Um, and I, not knowing the tools wasn't really a barrier. It was more understanding what are the things that will work and things that won't work, how do event-driven systems work differently to, uh, you know, uh, just connected systems at work? How do you how do you have services versus uh, tasks that you fire off or, or manually? How maintainable is it? And I built the entire system off like Python and Docker and a very simple SQL, like not even a SQL server, it's just like a SQL database sitting on local disk, right? Um, and I understand how flawed that is and how broken that is. But one of my big wins was actually talking to the guys that I left the company since, but and I left it in the hands of one of the uh, graduate engineers who wanted to skill up a bit more on the ML side. And one of the big wins was that he was able to bring home the project wins two, three months after I'd left without much overhead of like maintenance, right? Um, and though that might not, that might mean that, yes, I haven't, I hadn't used like, you know, top of the line tools and the correct tools for the job necessarily. Uh, but it reminded me that, okay, your engineering principles are still strong. You know what I mean? Like, obviously there's a lot that I've got to learn, but those basics, foundational basics were, were followed and adhered to. So it made it quite easy for them to maintain and continue using. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the principles, not even the tools. And I found those principles were really, it was really easy for me to pick up GCP in the last three months because the same principles, it's just in a slightly different tooling, you know? Um, yeah, so I guess it's the, the case for just kind of understanding the problem to be solved, right? And then working backwards to whatever tool might be, might be useful. Um, great discussion, man. You guys giving me engineer envy here. I wish I was more competent on that front. Ah, zero. Um, Oh, no, you don't. I, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> Minus school, yeah. Uh, Look at that. Uh, Kostub, I, I had you in, in queue for a question. If you still have a question, go for it. Yeah, um, just a quick thing, actually, before, before I ask that. Uh, I wanted to thank Joe, actually. Um, a few months ago, you, like, you talked about mental models on this, on this same podcast, and then I kind of went down this rabbit hole of reading up on him and listening about him and stuff. And one of the ones that I picked up that kind of addresses, Mark, you were talking about like focus as opposed to, you know, following shiny objects, right? Uh, I've, in the last couple of months, I've started using a Eisenhower matrix, if you've heard of that, and factoring in urgency along with importance, uh, like being able to look at that as a two-dimensional data. I, I literally like, I draw one every single morning to make sure that I'm like, on song with stuff right uh, and this is like an evolution on top of the like the pocketbook idea that uh if you listen to um what's his name kevin o'leary right mr wonderful he he keeps his pocketbook of just like the to-do list and he only does the top thing on the list everything else is like i don't care i will go to sleep and do my fitness and everything else right i've kind of taken that and i'm like okay how do i make that fit this two-dimensional view as opposed to one-dimensional list view and i'm finding that in the last three to four weeks has been uh, this return to a bit more discipline and focus, right? So I'm I'm trying to ride that wave and try to just keep tweaking these little things. So 
take, take a look at that if you haven't seen Eisenhower matrix, matrices before. Um, it's a really cool concept. So yeah, thanks, Joe. That's so awesome. Yeah, good. Glad you glad you found something useful in there. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's weird. The productivity stuff is there's no shortage. I think it's just what what works with you too, right? So there's no shortage of books or ideas about it. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's one size fits all. But you know, Eisenhower apparently works for you, and that's awesome. So keep doing it. Kevin O'Leary just needs his. I don't know why he bothers. He just has one thing on it, but that's cool. So. <laughs> I, I think he also suffers from the same thing as us, where he's got like you know a, tw a twenty cool ideas that he wants to one day work on, but uh, you know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting comment on focus. But my question actually is more relevant to what Mikiko was talking about regarding um, there being a lot of side entries into the data science field, right? I'm finding myself heading into a more of a mentorship, leadership, people leadership kind of uh, space, right? Um, and so far, like whenever I'm mentoring younger engineers, that uh, I say younger, I'm I'm still like a baby compared to a lot of people here, but. Um, a lot of younger engineers, when they come with a strong software engineering background, it's it's really quite easy for me to coach them on. Oh, okay, these are these principles that you haven't really thought of. Let's you know revise some of those things as we design a, a structure. But that I, I feel a little bit out of depth when I'm dealing with people that don't necessarily come with that full uh, engineering background because. Uh, Maybe like, do you guys have any advice on how do you coach people that don't come from that technical strength? So a lot of people go through dual master in data science. They're fantastic with data science, but there are still uh, elements missing from their foundational stuff, like the their confidence, just their confidence with Git, their confidence with uh, breaking a system, right? And it's not everyone. It's like in some cases. How do you manage mentoring people like that? Any tips? Any advice? I'm just looking to grow. Mark and then Makiko. Yeah, um, I, I think Mikiko should probably go first because you called her out first. Uh, oh, I go? Okay, all right. Um, what I was going to say is, uh, this is from my experience. I did mentorship a couple months ago. Uh, it was a similar thing. It wasn't for engineering, it was mainly for data science. So a lot of the individuals are like completely new to coding and everything. And a huge mistake I made was uh, caring too much, if that makes sense. And you're supposed to care a lot. You want to see them succeed, but you can't care more than them. <laughs> And the challenge is, you know, you have to be comfortable letting them fail because that's where a lot of learning's at. And so I want them to succeed so bad. So I'll do, go out of my way to make sure they wouldn't fail to learn these things. And I ended up putting in way more work than I should have. And looking mm -hmm. back, I probably stole a lot of learning opportunities from them because I cared so much, right? Um, and so it was just misplaced intention. And so I think one of the key things is just like figure out where that gap is and um, for, for that learning to get to that next step and what would be the stretch thing to help them struggle through that while also knowing that you're there to support them. So we kind of have, we, we kind of have this challenge as well um, at where I'm at right now um, because Part of this is, I think it's just sort of, it's, it's, it's a shift that you see when a company becomes more mature and at the same time that you see across industry, right? Which is that you used to see increasing specialization um, in a lot of different roles and very specifically. So for example, like at MailChimp, um, it, it had a very strong engineering culture. So it was just ex sort of expected that everyone come in as an engineer. 
so the engineering skills was never, it wasn't a question, right? Because they literally hire engineers and actually the, um, they had the engineering team first, then they had data science, and then the ML eng team was split out of data scientists and it was composed of data scientists who happened to be very engineering. Um, but it's a challenge, right? Because when you talk to like the data science org, you know, and you ask them, what, what is your KPI? What is your North star? You know, like if you had to choose, if, if I gave you a hundred bucks and you could spend it across like a basket of attributes, what would you spend it on? Right. And they're like, why would we spend on engineering when we have you guys? <laughs> they're like, we want to spend it on research because that's something that you engineers can't do. We want to spend it on um, statistical theory and, or sorry, um, statistical knowledge and expertise. Because once again, that's like, that's something that y'all wouldn't have had. Um, we want to spend it on um, initiative, on interest in cutting edge, like deep learning and algorithms. And they're like, why would we spend it on, we, they're like minimum viable engineering. That's what we want to spend it on. So what we did, and this is, um, I, I don't know if this is the best approach, but so far it seems like people are happier with it, is we first kind of defined what were the minimum viable engineering skills that, engineering skills that they actually needed. Um, and it kind of comes down to like get so for being able to write Python code reasonably well, um, not like the level that if you, you know, if you were, div if you were producing like a flask, like website or whatever web app, you don't need to do it that level. You just need to be able to write decent, you know, like feature engineering, model training, et cetera. Um, so writing the decent code, um, being able to write tests, both unit and integration. And we've like, We've done workshops on how to write tests. We recorded it. We put it up on a nice Confluence page. Um, what else? Being able to like work with, with the tools that we have in-house reasonably well and work with other teams. Um, and I think those are like, and I mentioned Git, I think those are like the three main things that we were basically like, because almost everything else like for the cloud, for like the, the cloud environment, for deploying it off as a service, like we have teams that specifically work on that. And we just try to figure out how to make it easy on them. So I would say like first define like what that minimum viable engineering skill set that they actually need. And then I think the second part that we also did um, was we put together like a learning path that is not teaching data scientists how to be engineers, but teaching data scientists the necessary engineering skills. And we basically curate a very, very select set of resources that we were like, this matches the values and quality we want to, you know, we want in the company. Um, and then we just made it very clear, like, and the other thing we also did too, is, uh, each data scientist has to do like a cookie cutter project. So they have their first project that they need to go through. It's actually better to get them on that sooner rather than later. Um, it doesn't have to be a big one. It can be a little small, even like a dummy regression model. And we just walk them through how to like ship it. Cause I think that is like. I think there's a couple people tend to kind of freak out because there's so much information. So they don't know what to focus on. And then if it's like, if you focus them on what they need and you integrate and start day to day, it's a lot more, um, I think it's a lot more effective. Um, cause reality rise that you're not hiring data scientists to be engineers at the end of the day, you're hiring them to be data scientists, right? Unless you're specifically hiring ML engineers, then you're kind of hiring data scientists who can code really at an engineering level. So, 
totally, totally, totally agree. And I think that the just keeping front of mind that that minimum viable skill set is kind of important. I think in my mind that's I have some loose idea of what that might be given the the kind of work that we're we're doing at, at the company I'm at. Um, but it's really is it clear on what that learning path needs to look like? And and absolutely like what Mark said, I think part of it is just me like wanting them to fail safely, right? Uh, like I just got to let them fail, let them, let them fall. Like this is almost counterintuitive to what I said before, where software is breakable and easily fixable, right? You, like we can go get checkouts, all else, right? Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to take both of those things away and, and try to define a bit more of a MVS for this. Um, but I guess in, a, in almost a follow-up is like, so we're, we're kind of, we've got two modes of oper operating, right? One is there's a, a product side where we're looking at a more engineering focus than the data science exploration side. And then we've got a few of our ML engineers that are more on the, uh, you know, uh, project side. Sorry, the, uh, what am I talking about? The um, the professional services side, right? So they'll be running smaller smaller projects. Some of them will be like Mythbusters and they're more data science-y. Some of them will be more, uh, you know, uh, small trials and small small scale pilots and things like that, right? Uh, so there's a, a a weird balance of data science knowledge, but also a, a need for some element of engineering skills in-house, right? Um, and, and, and something you said about introducing them to a small project sooner rather than later, um, we're, we're kind of actually going the other way. We're, we're, we're training them up in the product team because there's a more stable team that can support uh, our newer engineers and then moving them into the professional services side. But I mean, how does that kind of, I'm not just trying to think out loud here almost, is that kind of maps opposite to what you were saying? Is it's like them a small isolated project that they can do as a cookie cutter dummy maybe uh, and then grow into the rest of that. Uh, it's less about how small the project is, and it's more about the controlling how much sensory input they're getting and the psychological safety aspect. Yeah. Um, so like, okay, so for example, uh, I was at a company where I saw someone, they had, right, and there's that phrase, right? Like if someone's, if someone screws something up in engineering, right, it's not, it's not the individual, it's the process. Right. Um, so they something had happened and, you know, screwed up the main like Git repo. Something broke in production. It was able to get rolled back and uh, they were let go afterwards. And at that time, I think and, I, and the reality is that like, so for something like Git, I think most people learn it by poking. I don't think they actually tend to learn the underlying they don't learn the structure of the abstraction and they don't tend to learn the underlying principles of it. Because once, once you understand the underlying concept of Git, like it's like, oh yeah, you, you can just go. And then you just have to like look up the commands, right? Um, but people would be so scared of deleting stuff from Git and it's just, that's just not really the way it works, right? You, you'd have to in a way try really hard. Once you commit and push something up, you'd have to really purposefully delete something. And you, there's still tons of warnings and all that, right? So, but I know like before I was able to learn the underlying concept that made me really scared to even like push code and contribute. And then once, and then when I actually went through the missing CS semester course on, on Git, that was literally one of the best explanations I have ever seen 
about not necessarily like the implementation implementation details of Git, but just how was Git designed? How does it work or doesn't work? Um, you know, and and I was like, oh, this is this is great, and and I I felt less scared. So I'm like, okay, now I can, you know, I can create PRs and I can do code reviews and all that other stuff. But I think sometimes like with more junior people, it's like they don't know what they don't know, right? Like. Um, like another way to look at this, right, is uh, people who are first-generation college students. Um, and this was like, came up as a relevant conversation uh, because I guess in India, there's like a quota system where like, there's a certain percentage of students who go to the IITs are from um, underprivileged backgrounds or groups within India. And so they get quoted in, and then there's a certain quota that need to be passed every single year it's a scheduled class schedule group. Scheduled class groups, yeah. Right, right, right. And like, we have a similar issue, or we have similar challenges with like people who are first generation college students in the US or their English second language learners, right? Is that there's this idea that, okay, let's just get them in and then let's just give them free tutoring. And if they don't make it, if they, it's, it's sink or swim, right? Then they don't deserve mm -hmm. to kind of progress. And I think the reality is that there's a lot of this like cultural capital and a lot of professional capital that people don't realize you need to help people develop. Like I'm sure the raw uh, motivation is there, but it's creating an environment of like, that's psychologically safe where people know kind of what the next steps are. And then mm -hmm. they can be guided in a very intentional way to building up that skills. They like, they can still fail obviously, and you're going to run into challenges, but I, I, you know, it's kind of like at some point, if you have so many people failing or struggling, it's not the individual, right? It's it's how you're supporting them or not supporting them, right? Totally, totally. And and I, I completely resonate with that idea of like, if someone, particularly if someone new, if anyone really, someone fails, it's really the process, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I've I messed up in my first job and that was on a manufacturing line, right? Uh, and we, we, we fixed the process. We found that there was a flaw in the protocol in setting up a manufacturing line. Um, and we went and set it up and it was because an, uh, it was because of how we conducted experiments on the manufacturing lines itself right so if we were putting a new robot onto it there was you know there was a protocol that was missing or a step in the protocol that was missing right um so there, there really was uh, it, it really is true that like we've got to make people comfortable to fail and i i, I kind of agree is that it, with the um the whole idea of really understanding the first principles of git i was lucky enough in my previous job to work with a a lead engineer who's got vast vast amount of experience like he comes from pre pre git days right like this guy's real old school right like uh, i mean pr professionally old school um and and he very very simply explained to me with a piece of paper and a pen the plain concepts of just what Git is and what it does. And then after that, learning how to rebase and stuff like that. Like previously, I'm like, after rebase. Oh no. <laughs> right. Like we were like, I want a linear, I want a linear thing. I'll squash my commits and merge it in, but I don't want to rebase, merge conflicts used to scare me. And now I'm just like, yeah, cherry picking. Absolutely. Oh my God. Cherry picking is painful, but it's not like now I'm like, you know, it's not the end of the world. Right. And it's so now I'm really trying to figure out and maybe the missing semester, maybe that's the hot tip in this is point them in the direction for that. I've just been giving them kind of like articles on, oh, here's this Git and here's how Git rebasing works and here's how this other thing works. But um, maybe a more structured thing would 
help them understand because if you understand git you understand that anything you do is fixable basically in code it really is a meta skill because it's it doesn't matter what kind of engineer you are at some point you're going to commit code it, it it really is like the um it is the de facto communication standard between engineers of any culture race religion around the world and you, might, and you might call it you might call it something different like if you're developing mechanical design stuff the cad software version control stuff yeah, it's version exactly. control it's it's not git but there is a particular principle behind how it works and if you understand how that works it's it's yeah. fine um yeah uh, kind of to close this off it's kind of strange to me how little having like i mean it's it's funny because having gone through engineering school and computer science it's strange to me that they just kind of touch on oh yeah use git for your projects if you want and you know unit test maybe a little bit they'll walk you through some basic fundamentals right it's just strange to me that there's not this uh like when i went to to, to school for robotics we were doing we were using mercurial right and not every team used it for their projects right yeah, maybe I'm, two teams used mercurial nobody else did um yeah yeah like 100 percent. what i would do is i would i would identify like the minimum viable engineering skill set uh figure out what are the biggest gaps suggest one or two like good resources for those like create a little like confluence page or whatever called like the learning like you could be a learning path or something um yep. you know it, it you definitely don't want to toss too many resources at them and then kind of get them started on 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 code it doesn't even have to be like an isolated cookie cutter project it could be like a feature or or whatever but you know just make the expectation really clear and also make it very clear like how they can ask you for help and all that mm -hmm. um so it's not like you're hand holding them but you're just like you're setting up the right sort of pathway and the steps ahead of them. Yeah. So that and, and I think the other side of it is something else that you mentioned was that I think we just kind of assumed a level of engineering uh, knowledge and background, right? Which we really shouldn't have as, assumed in like in hindsight with some people, but it's it's just that assumption meant that we've now fallen into this trap where we haven't like we need to be breaking off tasks into much smaller chunks so that this it's easier for them to handle right whereas a larger engineering task that would re require some design thinking uh you know then like it's about building up to that stage so yeah no i really appreciate the, the advice there um i'm gonna take right. a lot of this away and if anyone has any more advice on this just dm me any resources please 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 and if you guys want to hear more from Akiko, you can check her out on the ken G podcast, Ken's nearest neighbors. Uh, check out Makiko on the podcast. But if you did not know, she's also on my podcast over a year ago. Uh, so definitely check out that podcast, uh, Makiko. So uh, go ahead and uh, tune into that. Uh, just a shout out to my good friend, Andrew Decatus, is in the chat on LinkedIn. Uh, went to grad school together, spent many, many, many hours studying for actuarial exams together and failing them and getting back up and studying and passing them again. Uh, Andrew says, uh, as a teacher, he cares too much, could be overwhelming for junior staff and says functional programming is a must. Um, so Andrew, thank you so much. By the way, man, haven't seen you in a few years. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, man. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for hanging out. Uh, that was the missing semester that Mikiko was talking about. If you type in the missing semester, um, there's a whole series of, of lectures, uh, one on version control in particular. There's a link to that uh, in the show notes. There should be uh, in the show notes when this is released and also uh, on the LinkedIn post here, um, you know, 
I'll probably spend an hour tomorrow morning watching it. I mean, um, I'm realizing I don't know Git as well as I should. Uh, so that's it for this one, guys. We'll uh, begin to wrap it up. Be sure to tune in next week. Um, I've got a few live events, right? I'll be uh, live with Comet ML, the um, the uh, the session we're doing with uh, folks from Uber, the Real Real, and Work Fusion. Uh, I'll also be going live with Nick Singh and the uh, gentleman from One Salting. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, also, shout out if anybody is uh, available on December seventeenth to take over the reins for me. Um, for uh for happy hours let me know uh if not no worries we'll just have to keep it a short happy hour uh on december 17th maybe you know keep it capped like 45 minutes or so um because i'm going to a hockey game first one in forever uh thanks guys for hanging out with me thanks for uh in, you know just it's being here i really appreciate all of you guys uh and just all of your support over uh the last year of this podcast as we cross that hundred thousand download mark could not have done it with all of you without all of you guys uh take care my friends remember you got one life on this planet why not try to do something big cheers everyone